Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bikes or Death podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. First of all, let me just apologize for being a slacker and not putting out very many episodes. It's been almost a month uh, since the last episode came out. And I am sorry. Life has just kind of been crazy. I am uh, had to move into a new house and still getting settled in here and going through the process of getting the old house ready for sale and putting it on the market and trying to get myself settled so I can ramp back up here and uh, keep pumping out more episodes. I'm actually headed tomorrow to Austin to interview Aaron Chamberlain, who was the first person to circumnavigate uh, the state of Texas on a bike. Uh, so that'll be good. And uh, got quite a few more already lined up. So I am working on getting my poop in a group so we can get back in the groove and keep delivering hot fire episodes directly to your earbuds. Oh, yeah. All right, well, I want to start off by thanking my newest patrons. We got Axel B, Ben M, and Brant M. Thank y'all for uh, supporting the show. It means so much. And all the other patrons, thank you for being sustaining members and helping the show continue to move forward. I also want to give a shout out to my longest running patron. Ryan M. has been a patron since November 11th, 2018, which is damn near since the beginning. Uh, so just want to give a shout out to him. So just want to say thanks. It really does mean a lot, and it helps more than you could imagine. This episode is brought to you today by Gooder Sunglasses. I have recently hooked up with them and started wearing their sunglasses. There's a lot of things that I like, but I'll list out a, a few of my favorites. One I was having a really hard time finding clear lens glasses that didn't look like super racy. I was actually talking to a friend and was like, why doesn't anybody sell just like a regular, you know, pair of frame sunglasses, but with clear lenses, like what I would normally wear during the day. But Gooder has that. It's just a personal preference, but the whole racy bug eye glass thing isn't really for me. No offense, but um, it's not what I'm into. And I'm also not into paying $200, $250 for a pair of sunglasses that I'm probably going to lose or drop or scratch or whatever. Which brings me to one of my other favorite things about Gooder is they really don't cost a lot. You can get all of their glasses for like $25 to $35 each, which is, as you know, hardly anything. If you're paying for lightweight, polarized, stylish sunglasses, you expect to pay a lot more, but not with Gooder. And that's something that I love because... I try to be pretty frugal, and if I can spend $25 on a nice pair of sunglasses versus $150 and up, then I'm all about that life. So if you'd like to see some of the styles of their glasses that I personally wear, you can head over to Gooder.com. That's G-O-O-D-R, no E, dot com, forward slash bikes or death. And you can see some of the pairs that I'm rocking and uh, you can peruse and maybe pick yourself up a pair or two as well. All right. Well, this episode is also brought to you by Kuat. Kuat Bike Racks. Um, if you don't know, I am an ambassador for Kuat. Uh, I signed up with them in 2020 and it's been great relationship. They're awesome to work with. Uh, but more importantly, they have a really killer product. But I want to tell you a personal story that you may not know about Kuat. So I was at Rocky Hill Ranch with my friend Jenny Schmidt 
Uh, we recorded an episode after we rode in the van and we were hungry. So we said, hey, let's load up the bikes, head over to this Mexican food restaurant, get some enchiladas and some margaritas or whatever it was, and uh, drove all the way home, got home and realized that the bikes were locked to the Kuat and the key was left on the table at the Mexican food restaurant that was like an hour and a half away. So I... Post, I took a picture, posted it on Instagram, kind of for fun, and said, hey, Kuat, left my keys in a Mexican restaurant, sitting at home now, what do I do? And they sent me a DM literally in two minutes and said, cut it, what's your address, we'll send you a new lock for free. I was like shocked by that. I figured, you know, I'd have to pay you know, for a new lock and for shipping and all that stuff. And I sent him a DM back and I said, hey, um, so can I share that y'all did this or is this just something that you do because I'm an ambassador? I don't know. I thought maybe I'm an ambassador. They're giving me special treatment. Uh, but they said, no, they said they do that for all their customers. I thought that was awesome. Like how many companies will tell you to just cut their product because you made a mistake and they'll ship you out a new, new one for free. No questions asked. So yes, they make awesome bike racks. I can tell you that for a fact because I use them, but who doesn't love a company that stands behind their product? So go over and check out Kuat because maybe one day you'll leave your keys in a Mexican food restaurant and need to cut a lock and you won't want to have to pay whatever many dollars to have a new one shipped out to you. Okay, well, today's episode is with my friend Chris Burkhard. Many of you may not know him as a cyclist. He's a famous photographer with 3.6 million Instagram followers. The guy has really made a name for himself in photography, being willing to go to like some extremes and really suffer to get the content for his client. And he's had success with that. But uh, what he does for fun is he rides bikes. And true to fashion, he doesn't just, you know, ride around a little bit. He tackles everything 100%. He thinks big. He goes hard. He puts himself in situations where, uh, you know, it's going to be an adventure. And uh, he recently just completed two bikepacking trips. The first was a traverse through the interior of Iceland, which has never been done before. It was like 850 miles, something like that. Him, Emily Batty, Eric Batty, and oh, I forgot one other person tackled that challenge, and uh, they were the first people to do it. Comp I mean, it's a, it's truly crazy, and that was like his fourth ever bikepacking trip, fourth ever. I mean, it's just crazy to think about, you know? I mean, he put together a good team and all that stuff, but the guy's not afraid of an adventure, and he thinks and dreams big, like I say. And then he came home from that and quickly turned around and went on another bikepacking trip uh, through the Sierra Nevadas uh, with Lael Wilcox, Rue, and I think the guy's name was Eric from Specialized. And they had like a 30-mile hike-a-bike in the middle of it to kind of mix things up and make it interesting. But I've become a personal fan of Chris, and I kind of dote on him a little bit in the beginning and, and really wanted to find out more about him and his approach to career, family, how he's able to do this stuff, because I know that you know myself and probably a lot of y'all have other obligations and are trying to be successful in your life and your career and you know also want to go and adventure and, and, and spend time away in nature and on your bike and so how do you do that? So we, you know, in the beginning, we talk about a lot of that. And I I personally really got a lot out of it. And I hope you do too. 
But don't worry, we do get into the bikepacking stuff and we have just a great conversation. The guy is a true inspiration to me and I'm so grateful to have him on Team Bike. He's a great steward of the sport and I appreciate him coming on to just share his story with us and his adventures. I just realized that this episode is going to come out on election day. So in case you didn't know, you're supposed to go vote today. That's your PSA. All right, that's it. As always, Miles Arbor is going to take it away with the Bikes for Death theme song. So let's get to it. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your boss, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a really special guest back on the podcast today. You first came on episode 17 way back when, well, in the very beginning. Thanks for coming back on, Chris Picard. Hey, dude, thanks for having me, Patch. Appreciate it a lot. And you've, you've won, was it an award or was it like best cycling podcast? I feel like I, I read that somewhere that you, you kind of have uh, that accolade now. I won a award, a bikepacking.com award for best in uh, you know, it was like art, multimedia, and they threw podcasts in there too. And uh, there's been a couple articles that have come out that have kind of rated rated the podcast highly in the cycling world. So been really cool. I love it. You know, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of podcasts out there that talk about, you know, watts and strategy and this and that. And I, I just can't even stomach that stuff. And I love <laughs> being able to jump on here and like hear from these rad guests with cool stories and interesting backgrounds and just really beautiful people. I feel like you, um, I'm, I'm super honored because it seems like you always bring on really cool guests and yeah, to be one of them is great, especially some nerd with a camera who is not even really in the cycling world at all. So <laughs> no, well, you're certainly kind of making a name for yourself. At least I feel like you are. I mean, I think we're going to start to see more and more of, you know, some of the projects that you've been working about or on that we're going to talk about today. But I have a feeling that we'll see a lot more Chris Picard with cycling and bikepacking. And, you know, I mean, you, you've listened to the podcast. I know that I'm very interested in people, their stories, and everybody's story to me is cool. And we can learn and grow from hearing everybody's perspective. So, yeah, it doesn't matter if you won the Tour de France or Tour Divide or uh, just kind of getting started. You know, I mean, I, I, I like talking to everybody. I want to first congratulate you on Rich Roll podcast. You, uh, Dude, that was coming, a sick one, man. It was. You're it coming was from really... the big leagues all the way down to Bikes or Death. I'm honored. <laughs> Bro, dude, Bikes or Death is where it's at. You know, Rich was really fun. It was great to chat with somebody who, you know, this sounds so silly and weird, but like in some of those really dark moments <laughs> on my long rides or training rides or just, just, you know, on trips, you know, even too, like his voice kind of helped carry me through some of those times and, you know, with his interviews and his guests and everything. And it was a weird thing to be a part of that, you know, in some capacity and, and to, to share in that lineage a little bit. So yeah, I was honored. I can imagine. I haven't listened to it yet. I try not to listen to other podcasts with other guests that I'm doing just to kind of try to stay in my own lane, but I'm looking forward to checking it out after we, uh, we wrap this one up. I also have to, uh, 
note that today's a big day. Today's a new bike day. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny is I did a really cool trip with Gus Morton. I'm not sure if you're familiar yeah. with him, but I'm sure you are from the thereabouts, you know, films him and his brother Lachlan have made some really rad projects. Oh, um, right, right. Lachlan. Yeah. You know, over the years, you know, sort of a bike noir, so to say. And um, yeah, we did a trip through Bears Ears National Monument as a part of a new series called Landscapes that's coming out in a couple months here. And um, he made a really cool collaboration with uh, Crust Bikes, a Bombora, which is kind of like a just a you know big, comfy sort of touring bike, you know, and frame with just tons of space and super strong and really rad. And it's a classic white you know bike. And I was like, I got one from the trip, and it's been sitting in my house. And I was like, mm. oh, maybe I should make it a wall hanger. It's so pretty. And then I was like, <laughs> nah, let's slap some some components on this thing and make it like a com- so. It's my commuter now. Yeah. Um, but dude, it's, you know, it's so dangerous is how many bikes you can all of a sudden collect. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's such a, it's such a funny scenario how you just kind of fall in love with these things and they each tell you a story and they each remind you of something and they remind you of an experience. And some of them you become so sentimental to, you're like, Oh, I could never sell that. Mm-hmm. You know? But I don't know. You look forward to the next one. <laughs> I have one bike like that, that, that I'll never sell, you know, no matter what happens, but yeah, you can really get it attached to them. And yeah, like you say, so many different bikes that allows you to experience, you know, the same thing in a different way, takes you to a different place or, you know, just changes the experience. And it's just, just all good fun, good, clean fun. Same man. Same. Yeah. yeah it's a beautiful, beautiful bike. I was checking it out. Those, uh, crusts are pretty sexy. They're, they're building a really good looking bike for sure. Yeah, they, they sure are. And just like the overall message, like I love it when we don't feel too precious about things, like when, when we kind of take the preciousness out of what we're doing. And, and I just like, you know, we, we all, you know, they, they're kind of like take the piss out of everything, like self-deprecate. They're just the, the humor that they've added to the brand reminds you of why you ride bikes in the first place. It's really fun. And, you know, obviously like certain tools are purpose built and some tools are just like, no, nah, this is a hammer. It'll work for everything. You know? yeah. And I kind of I kind of love that aspect. Yeah. Well, congrats again. How are you at taking compliments? Uh, it's not my favorite thing. It feels awkward. <laughs> well, good. That's, um, that's how I wanted to start it off with was a, yeah. Was a compliment. <laughs> yeah, it feels awkward. I mean, just, just cause it's not like I'd rather kind of put my head down and just like work towards the next thing or work towards yeah. the next. It's an important thing to be able to take accolades or receive recognition in some way. It's, it's a, you know, and I, and I, this is such a weird thing to even acknowledge, but it, in some way, I think it's a point of maturity, you know, to like be able to take that and embrace it. And yeah. as long as you don't revel in it for too long, I think we're, we still remain human. Yeah. I think that's a good point. A sign of maturity. It's a learned thing for most people, you know, the, to learn how to take a compliment. I also think to get one, I, someone told me a long time ago that um, everybody's so quick to, to judge you or to put you down and tell you what you did wrong. But, you know, so often we go, throughout our day and we're not building each other up and we're not, you know, really recognizing when somebody does something good and, and acknowledging that. So I have to tell you that I'm actually more nervous this time than I was whenever I recorded with you in the very beginning, because I walked away from our episode. I recommend, you know, everyone listening to go check it out. Episode number 17. I walked away from that just on fire. I mean, you lit a fire under me that... Uh-huh no guest has and, 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 you know, since then or, or before that. And I was just like, I mean, I immediately went on a ride and for, for a long period of time after that, I, 
the words and our conversation really resonated with me and really like pushed me, you know, pushed me to want to just be better and do more and work harder and, you know, no more bullshit and just fucking do it. And sorry, I'm getting ramped up, but like, (laughs) dude, you're getting me fired up. (laughs) Boy, It's coming from you. But like, I, and I thought about that and cause I mean, I've talked to Lael and I've talked to Alexander Halchin and, you know, some really people have done some really amazing things in the ultra endurance world. But I think what really resonated with me was your whole story, how you kind of built this life. I mean, I, I, I'm only an outsider looking in, but you know, as an outsider, it looks like you got the family and the kids and you're an involved father and husband. And you've also created this, business that allows you to go and do things that you love and see different parts of the world and turn that into your career. And I think there's probably a lot of people that can relate to that. I don't picture you as a person who has like just been handed a silver spoon in their mouth or whatever. Like from what I can tell, I mean, you, you worked your ass off and you really built something and you took some risk and and all those things. And that I think is what I was like, if Chris can do it, you know, you're just like nonstop, you know, I mean, you're just doing all the <laughs> things and you're putting in all the work and it seems like it's kind of paying off. There's times Go where ahead. it feels like it does more. And to be honest, it might even be my, my Achilles heel is that sometimes I kind of wear my struggles with a badge of honor, you know, and obviously like my struggles are just my own. Like I, I, I can, I can't even relate to people who have really had like real struggles, you know, dealing with systemic racism or things like that. For me, it was more just, about being impoverished and coming from a, a less than ideal situation growing up to kind of having to work for everything that we've had. And, and if anything, I don't see that as a negative thing. I actually see that as like, that's what's given me motivation hundred percent, you know, knowing and seeing full well that, you know, a single parent raising a kid, like that's struggle. That's real. That's being in the depths, you know, of hardship raising a son on food stamps and this and that. So I just, I just guess I've never felt any excuse to be anything other than grateful, even for hardship, because hardship teaches me lessons and, and riding a bike is just really, it's like my escape. It's like a fun little escape that I get to do. And it's always funny because the classic mindset is that we we're in these situations and it's so hard and endurance sports and we're gritting through it. But when you stop and think about the fact that like, no, 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 I put myself here, you mm. know, I'm willingly doing this. Nobody's forcing me. You got to just smile. You got to just remember like, holy cow, this is so silly. Like there's real things we could be doing. We could be working to give people clean water or fight social justice issues or whatever. And, and for me, I just try to remind myself like, this is fun and it always should be. And it always will be. And if I can't, let it be fun, then I just don't want to be a part of it. And I think yeah. what's, what's really been like the transcendent sort of thought process that's gone through all my work and even with endurance sports is like, it's always this mindset of like, how can you leave behind a legacy? And, and you know, whether that's through photography or books or films or, and what I mean by that, it's not an ego thing. It's more like, how can you leave behind work that's meant to be around longer than you are? Like something right. that's that important. And, and that's kind of where like, to me, it's never really been about trying to set records or do this and that. It's, it's morphed more into like, how can you leave behind an experience that others could follow and have themselves that it could change them as much as it's changed you? And route, route building is kind of one of those things. And again, making books and films and telling stories is a part of that. We all connect, right? Like the one thing this year has taught me is that building a good route 
especially one that you could hike or bike or travel in some way, that's like as significant as, as making a cool film or making a great book. That's like right. on the New York Times bestseller. Like it, it's shared when you can share it, it becomes real. Yeah. And then you're opening up that experience to other people and allowing them the same opportunities to, to experience that route and the struggles and the highs and the lows or whatever that, you know, it, that comes with it. I wanted to see if you'd be willing to share a little bit about, you have a business photography course that came yeah. out not too long ago. I bought it and I haven't got very far because I'm not going to give it an excuse. <laughs> I'm talking to Chris Ricard. I can't give excuses. I was probably sleeping when I should have been watching it, but I, I watched, I watched the beginning and it talked about how like in the beginning, you like gave yourself five years. I was wondering if you could like talk a little bit about that decision. I'm asking from a, a selfish place in that I'm also trying to, you know, create a career and, you know, in this storytelling space in the outdoors and trying to manage how I go about that while still being a father to my children and, and providing mm-hmm. for them and all those things, but also recognizing that like you, I want to leave something behind. You know, I want to, I want to share something and hopefully make the world a little bit better place. Uh, And I, and I think also like there's probably a lot of people listening that would resonate with them as well. So I was wondering if you kind of talk about your thoughts going through that process, what you recommend, what you don't recommend, what you learned, because it's easy for people to like, look at you probably and say, wow, look at this. Chris has this great life and all this stuff, but I'm pretty certain it didn't just happen and you had to work pretty hard for it. Yeah. I mean, I try to be real kind of conscious about this idea of like shouldering the effort and putting in the hard work. I just, I don't want to scare people away from what it takes to like have a career that's ideal. But I would say that the one thing I do want to be honest about and realistic about is like, there were sacrifices made that I'm still paying the price for. And I say that in the sense that like, man, you know, when I decided to pursue photography and, and give, put everything else on hold, it was gnarly. And I mean that by like, I cut off friendships that I had had my whole life because this was my focus. And I, I'm repairing those now. I'm not saying this for everybody. And one thing I would say, and sorry if this is like a, a bummer way to start the conversation, mm-hmm. but yeah. there's a great analogy about the four burners. And I don't know if you've heard that or if you've heard no, me say no, that, I but it's, it's not my analogy. I'm totally ripping this off, but it was something I heard a long time ago. It's that, you, you know, you have four burners on a stove and one represents family and one represents health and one is business and one is friendship and or relationships. And so in order to be successful, you have to turn off one of those burners. And in order to be really successful, you got to turn off two. And which one do you want to decide? And for me, in the beginning of my career, it was like, oh yeah, friendship and health. Like I didn't care about my health at all. I didn't care about riding bikes. I didn't care about doing anything. It was just like, I'm going to spend 16 hours a day on my computer editing and emailing people and working on images. And yeah, I'd go out and I'd get a little bit of activity, but it was all like family and business. And that was it. That was the only two things I cared about. Luckily, I got married at a young age. So kind of family, my family, family, and my wife sort of like evolved into one. But man, it was, it was challenging. And I just want people to understand like their sacrifices that kind of have to be made, you know, just like being a dad or being a good dad, you know, there's being a dad, which is like cutting off one burner. And there's being a good dad, which might be <laughs> cutting off two burners. And, and I just think that it, there are seasons in life that we have to give certain things to really make the whole stronger, right? 
And early in my career, that was it. That was photography. And I feel like only now am I really coming into this sense where like I'm rekindling those relationships mm-hmm. that I, I turned the burner down way, way years ago. And all of a sudden I'm like, you know, the last five years, it's been all about like, I've shot freaking action sports photos of the best athletes in the entire world. Kelly Slater and Chris Sharma and, and, you know, everybody, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's, so I've, I've chased around the best of the best. And you know what? Sometimes it sucks sitting there on a beach watching the best athletes in the world perform when all you really want to do is be out there experiencing it yourself and not saying that you do it better, but in some way, I think that was really my motivation this last year is I'm like, you know what? I'm only getting older. I don't want to be on the sidelines forever. You know, I'd love to go out and do something that is significant to me and it doesn't have to be documented and it doesn't have to be photographed. It doesn't have to be crazy. Who cares? You know, like it doesn't have to involve my life or my career. It could just be. And so that's kind of what cycling became for me. It became a way of like expressing myself and maybe just giving myself a pat on the back to say, Hey, like you are a talented individual athlete and you're reclaiming your health in some way. And, and that's kind of been a powerful tool for me, but yeah, when it comes to the business side of things, it's a crazy world. I mean, you, you really have to, in some ways be cutthroat. You really have to wear a lot of hats. You have to be savvy. You have to, you know, there's so many things that you're kind of forced to do. And in the end of it, you kind of also hope that you're not just paying the bills, but you're also putting something out there that's hopefully worthwhile for future generations for people to appreciate. And again, that's where it comes back to like creating work that is meant to be around a lot longer than you. I mean, that's what I hope to do. And and that's what I aspire to do now. One of the uh, things that I know that I share with a lot of my listeners is, is, you know, a lot of us has to have families and so do you. And so how have you been able to maintain that work life, husband, father balance? Um, I'm sure it's always a struggle and never a perfect balance, but I know that's something that people ask of me because you know, maybe I travel a little bit more than some other people and stuff. And they're always wondering, you know, how do I do that? So I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah. And my perspective has really been a byproduct of me and my wife. I give her the credit, you know, I want to be fully transparent that like, if it wasn't for her and her support, I don't think I would be where I am today. And and whoever that support is, you, you need to find that support. Why? Because, and this is important. It's like, if all you're doing is receiving validation from anonymous sources, from online faceless people, that's a scary place to be. Like it's important to receive validation from someone or some people you care about, you trust. For me, that was editors. That was my wife. That was this and that, not just random pats in the back online. Like those just don't last. I don't think they're real in a sense. And so, yeah, the way that I've learned to balance that is by learning to, first of all, it's taken time. Like, let's just be real. Take, yeah. It takes time. It takes time to, to balance out this idea of work and life and the struggle and the balance and kids. And oh my gosh, you're like constantly considering like, am I a bad dad because I'm right. taking time to go out and do a bike trip? Am I a bad husband because I'm, I'm not spending this, you know, this holiday or this like anniversary, like on the actual day, you know, it's, it's a challenge. But the reality is what I've found for me, at least is that if you're forced into a situation where you have to go out for work and you have to kind of, you have to make that decision that you need to be realistic about what you're doing and why communications are the key of everything. It's the very cornerstone of a good relationship. If you can't communicate why you're doing it and why it's important and, and justify it, then that's going to be challenging from the get go. Right. When it comes to kids, you know, man, the, the best way I've found is that if I come home and they don't know where I've been and they don't know what I've been doing, I've already failed. You know, if I'm thinking about them while I'm gone, 
I'm going to be advocating for ways to connect with them. I'm going to be shooting videos of things they like. I'm going to be looking for things that might interest them so that while I'm gone, I'm, I'm texting them and I'm, I'm keeping them apprised of what's yeah. going on and what I'm doing so that when they get back, they're like, dad, that was so cool. You saw this, you saw that. It's awesome. Like, and this thing we talk about with kids, you know, people are often like, oh, wow, that makes a lot of sense. You're like, yeah, it's the same thing with your loved one. Like if you're really thinking about them, while you're there doing your, whatever you're doing, you know, granted you have cell service or whatever, then you'll feel closer when you get back. And I think that one thing for me coming from a really blue collar family where work was always the focus and there was no other thing more important than work and you never turned down work, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Finding some success in life has been challenging because you never learn when to say no. So I, I never learned that. I never learned how to say no to jobs, to work. So for me, learning to say no has really been learning to say yes to what I want. And that's, that's a direct quote I'm stealing from a book I read called um, Essentialism by Greg McKeown. And that's taught me a lot. It's taught me a lot about what is essential in my life. What do I care about? Riding bikes is something that's essential. Why? Because it fills up my cup. When you go out, Pat, and you're like doing a, even a podcast right now, you know, you're giving a lot of yourself, your time, your attention, your energy to do and share something that you think is meaningful you know, you have a well of inspiration. Like think about this for any cyclist, right? Anybody who's out there doing an endurance event or doing some FKT on some trail or whatever it is, you know, you spend all these hours training, 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 and you fill up this well, right? This deep well with like really good mineral water. You just love drinking out of it. And you go out there and you exhaust yourself and you put your effort out there and you put your time out there and you, you come back and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm worked. Like I just gave everything to that there's a reason why we feel burnt out at the end of that. There's a reason why it's hard to go to the next thing or whatever. It's because we've, we've tapped out our resource, our, our energy source of that. And I think that finding that thing that fills you back up when you come home. For me, I go on a trip, I give 115% to that trip. Like I'm sleepless nights, whatever, whatever it takes to make the client happy, uh, to make the job happy, to get the job done. doesn't matter if I'm riding my bike or if I'm shooting a film. And so finding ways to like fill that well back up. What do you do? Is yoga your thing? Is meditation? Do you just need to go out and eat a bunch of killer food? You need to spend time with people you love. You need to call your mom. I don't know. But the point being is if you don't have that tool and you can't just tell me, oh, it's riding bikes more. Like that's not real. It has to be other things, other things that allow you to, because here's the thing is your brain becomes synthesized to just spinning your legs, right? It's formulaic, right? It becomes much of the same. So how do we slightly challenge ourselves? How do we get back to who we are? How do we connect with the things that are important to us? That takes introspection and time. And I, I would venture to say that it, it requires a different skill set than just maybe what more of the same. So where are you finding that personally? Yeah. Well, for me, luckily, bikes isn't my life. Bikes <laughs> is my, but riding bikes is, is my meditation. That's yeah. like the fun thing. So for me, the point here is like, I come back from a trip where you know, when I'm on a trip and I'm going somewhere, I'm not riding my bike. I'm, I'm working, you know, I'm in Iceland or I'm in Norway or I'm doing whatever. Occasionally I get a chance to go ride a bike in an amazing place and it coincides with work. And that's okay. so, so special. But most yeah. of the time that's what it is, you know, and it's, it's climbing, it's, it's yoga, it's being with my family, it's taking my kids out, it's showing them new things, it's learning new things from them. It's a lot of that. And honestly, that's what makes me feel so, so special. Like is that connectivity to the people I love and learning to kind of reconnect to them in a way. And I think that that's the biggest, most important thing is like, 
it's about quality of time. And you've heard this a million times in a million ways, so I don't want to reiterate it for you, but it's really, it's about quality of time, right? And I think that's one thing I value a lot is like, and this is, I know it's funny because we're, this is a bike podcast. We're talking about relationships and family and life, but let me just but, explain. But I think, I think the thing is, is like, having these tools allows you to be able to go and, and ride bikes, be able to, you know, you have to manage oh, all those things. Right. 100%. So that's where I think it fits in is because, you know, going on these trips and takes you away from your family. It, it takes time. It takes effort. Yeah. It shifts your focus. So, you know, I, that's where I think it, it still fits. Well, and I, and I love that. And I appreciate that. And I hope your viewers appreciate it in some, some way, but if I could offer one kernel of truth, which in my very, very limited experience as a white male has, has taught me, it's that when we come back from these great experiences, I don't care what it is, you know, maybe you graduated college or you went on a trip somewhere or you went on a road trip with your friends or you flew across the world and went to Iceland. I don't know. But if you come back from this life-changing experience and you just want to unload this whole, you know, entire goblet of like information over somebody you care about. Oh my gosh, it was so amazing. It was so life-changing, blah, blah, blah. That's a really challenging thing for someone to take on. Somebody who wasn't with you, somebody you care about, somebody who you're in a relationship with, your kids, your wife, your parents, they might've been down in the trenches dealing with the day-to-day doldrums. Yeah. And the reality is for me, it's taught me to be like, Hey, when I come back, the first thing I want to think about is First of all, I want to get my head right. It's really hard to go from being eight days backpacking, not talking to anybody, to all of a sudden being in a family where everybody's communicating. And so you need to get your head right first. If that takes an extra day for you to like decompress, so be it. That's fine. But then once you're there, when you're with those people, I want to focus on what can I do to make sure that person I care about has a similar experience where they're getting outside their comfort zone, where they're learning. Because here's the thing is that if you think about life finding a balance, there's no such thing. Life has rhythms. <laughs> you find that rhythm and it's really a wavelength. Like you're on a wavelength that's up and down and up and down and yeah. spaced out. And your wife or your your significant other or your kids, they might be on a wavelength that's like more mellow and, and undulating. And so you need to get on the wavelength. And so the reality is you either need to get them to your level or you need to get to their level in order to like be cohesive. And so Oftentimes when I come home, it's like, how can I get my wife out experiencing something rad that she wants to do and give her the time that she needs to, to kind of come back to that reawakening of what inspires her. And that's a lot of times what it is. And that's how I find any semblance of balance. Is trying to tune into what they're looking for and they're needing. I mean, if mm-hmm. you're gone for eight, nine days or whatever, and you come back and your wife's been dealing with the kids and the groceries and all the things Wife or husband doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like sure. giving them a Your day, partner. an hour, two days, three days to be like, Hey, whatever you need to do to like, to get yourself right. Like that's the first thing, you know, I want to share with you everything I experienced. I want to talk to you and I want to relate to you. And I want to, I want to get your opinion. But before I do that, I need to make sure that like your cup is filled. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I love those. that analogy. Yeah. I love that. Uh, bikes is one of the things that fills your cup. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. You know, it's that's what brings us all here. I mean, that's why uh, people are listening, and that's why uh, you and I are talking is because this love affair with bikes and the places it can take you. And I mean, to me, I find it like meditative and relaxing. And I, I have ADD pretty severely, so I find motion is always good to like calm my brain down, allow me to process life and stuff just better. 
And so I don't know, that's one thing that I, I take away from it, but it is it having that effect of re-energizing you, refilling your cup and putting some of that back that you maybe expended on everything else, you know, and that is important. You know, as I've done this podcast and kind of discussed this idea of being an adventurous parent and filling your own cup, but also filling theirs, as you say, And there is a balance there. And I think, like you say, it takes a lot of communication and understanding of why am I doing this? It's not just to take me away from my family. It's because this is something that I need to kind of reinvigorate myself. But, you know, like you said, you come home and it's like, all right, your turn. And, you know, sometimes you just, you just need a swift kick in the ass, to be honest, to like get yourself started. Like, it's a funny one because uh, I think sometimes, you know, people often think like, oh man, Chris, you just, you must need to just go on a a super epic adventure to get yourself excited. And I'm like, no, actually it's not even not true at all. Like, you know, sometimes I just drive home and I'm like, uh, you know what? Like I'm riding my bike home, whatever. I'm going to take a different route. I'm going to take a road I've never been on. I'm going to ride on the train tracks. This is dangerous. This is stupid. (laughs) What am I doing this for? And I'm like, well, because I need to just give myself something a little new, something a little exciting. Like it's not always about doing some 800 mile ride across here or there. It's like, it's just a matter of constantly finding yourself in situations where your brain has to be engaged and you have to be attentive and you have to be around because cycling, like anything else, can become just a formula. Move this leg, move that leg, blah, blah, same thing. And I love to commute. I commute every, almost every single day. I commute probably 99% of the time to my office. <clears throat> and so all the time, I'm just thinking of like, new ways to make it fun and make it engaging. It's not always about some crazy epic adventure. Oh yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. You don't have to go that far. I mean, we talk about it a lot thinking like with your kids, you know, you can ride around the block and camp in your backyard and have a a really great adventure. You could, there's any numerous things you can do. I recently moved to a new house in the same city that I grew up in and actually in the same neighborhood And, you know, it's been really interesting and fun to ride my bike around the same roads, the same ditches, the same curbs I used to hop when I was like a kid. And uh, (laughs) just, and I mean, I'm not doing anything epic, you know, but I'm just riding around and experiencing the same world I was in. God, how old am I now? Yeah, 30 years ago. And, And it's crazy how many rocks or cracks are still there and how, you know, the ledges that you remember jumping off of and you know, the curb that my brother, we were riding our bikes and I, I'll tell a story real quick. <laughs> one, one day my brother and I were riding down the street and I was in front of him. I'm older. And so I was always the antagonist. Uh, but I would, I told him I was riding with no feet, no hands and no eyes. And I had my eyes open, but he didn't know that. So of course, being the younger brother, he emulated me and his bike careened into the curb. He went over the handlebars and uh, cracked his head open on this jagged piece of the curb there. Uh, got concussed and he, he was fine, but <laughs> that was actually one of many concussions that he had growing up. But, uh, you know, I, I rode past that curb and that crack where he cracked his head is still there. So, you, you and, know, and it's funny how these little things like become ingrained in us, they become part of us. I mean, yeah, I really look forward to that too. And, and I really look forward to in some capacity, like re exploring something that has been a part of me for a really long time. You know, I think everybody vividly remembers the first time I learned to ride a bike and that's something that you just, the excitement won't go away, you know? 
No, it's crazy. I live like right by the house I grew up in. So I keep riding past my old house and like on the, I remember exactly the moment that I learned to ride a bike. I remember, you know, the direction on the street I was riding and everything. And so I, I'm reliving that memory constantly now. It's pretty cool. Awesome. I feel like I missed an opportunity the first time we talked to understand a little bit of your story. Not only have you like figured some shit out, seems like you're you know, finding some balance and equilibrium in your life, but you're also like a super thoughtful person that has taken the time to understand, you know, yourself, the people around you, what's important, what's not. And yes, you've had to go through a lot and do a lot to get to where you are, but yeah, I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get a little bit more into that. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing a little bit more of your background, even though it's not cycling specific. Hopefully the listeners will forgive us. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate that. Well, I mean, that's what interests me. It's the way that these activities, the way that these passions intertwine into our lives. Because here's the reality is like, I would be nothing if I just was like, yeah, I'm going to go out and just ride my bike all the time. And this is the most important thing to me. And I have, I have nobody to share it with, nobody to come back to. And I mean, that just, that wouldn't be fulfilling. So it's, I think it's the way in which we connect these things, the way in which we articulate it that makes us interesting and ultimately makes us human, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, should we talk a little bit about bikepacking? You've been doing a little bit lately. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I, I, I have this weird penchant for just thrusting myself into stuff where I'm like, I know nothing of how this works. Let's try and do like the hardest thing that's humanly possible and I think in some way, this is just, I'm jumping into it, but it sounds so silly, but I do love the idea of being a rookie. Like, you know, when you, when you, when you kind of have become a sort of a professional at something, you mm-hmm. become really good at something, whether it's photography or like, okay, I've, I've spoken on the, the biggest stage I could ever speak on, or I've, I've, you kind of like have summited these certain things and, and to be thrusting yourself back to where you're like, I know nothing. And I'm, I'm relying upon other people to learn and, I just love that process of like deep diving on bikepacking.com and learning every, like me reading every forum and every message board and kind of taking these skills that I've learned from other things, other aspects of my life, expedition planning and applying it to something new. Like that's so fulfilling. And so, yeah, I kind of like fast tracked myself into like bikepacking. <laughs> you know, I, I obviously, I went through Iceland recently. Yeah. And I uh, did this insane thousand kilometer bikepacking uh, first ascent. And yeah, it was trial by fire, but it was also like, I think it was my fourth time bikepacking ever <laughs> in my life. And it was crazy. It was awesome. Well, I was going to ask you that before we get into Iceland, when did you go on your first bikepacking trip? It was in the Los Padres range, which is a mountain range right by my house. And, um, and to be honest, um, and uh, it was, it was this just a, fr- a thing with a friend. Like he was like, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to go through, local mountains and we're going to do like one quick overnighter and, you know, bring just one extra pair of shorts, something to swim in and something to, you know, a little tiny like bivy kit. And I was like, sick. All right. You know, I've, I don't think I've ever brought a full tent. <laughs> I, it's funny because it's also like who trains you, you know? And I think I've always tried to like go straight to the Jedi masters <laughs> um, being like, okay, Hey, I, I know that there's this way to do it, you know, full panniers and all set up, but I'm like, but what I'm interested in is I want to get into some of like the rough stuff. I want to get into some of like the wild stuff. So like who and how and where. And so my, my first trip I think was with a friend of mine named, named Dylan, who's just a super talented cyclist from Santa Barbara and really great route builder and, and a buddy of mine. He explored all these mountains and 
uh, around home and we did a couple big rides. And it's funny because going from being the guy who's like, no, 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 no. I want to do as many miles as I possibly can without stopping. It's kind of the antithesis of bike packing. Right. You can, and then you can kind of combine the two where you're like, wait, I'm bike packing, but I'm bike packing light and in, in sort of a racy fashion. And I don't want to say race fashion because I, I've never gone out and tried to set an FKT on a previously established route. I've just pretty much only done new routes. That's, that's it. I've never done a previously done route. So with me, it's kind of more like I enjoy the fact that we can go light, we can go fast, yet we're also self-sufficient. And that's really cool because the whole beauty of a, a great bikepacking route is not having to divert yourself to a town or divert yourself to go here. It's like, it's all within reach and, and where it can allow you to access is amazing. But, you know, to kind of fast forward to being in Iceland and doing that traverse, like, it's always been, I said this last time, like it's always the landscape that inspires me. And when I find a place that just motivates me and moves me and, and moves my soul, I feel compelled to experience it in every way possible. And that's really where it comes down to. So the places I've ridden, they're places that I'm passionate about. Utah desert, you know, Bears Ears, Los Padres range, you know, Iceland, you know, what have you. And not re- recently, just last weekend, uh, the Sierras moving through Kings Canyon and Sequoia National Park. Yeah. Let's start with Iceland. Um, for people who didn't, didn't listen, you first came on the podcast last year because you set the fastest record on the wild cyclothon that, uh, basically surf, surf and nav, sir. I cannot talk anymore. Surf and navigate it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, the, the, a couple, two years ago, I, I set the speed record for the solo, um, it already been two years? circumnavigation of Iceland, 845 miles nonstop, 52 hours around the country. And yeah, it was a massive effort. So cool. So fun, great experience. And ultimately to kind of bring it full circle, I got inspired to be like, you know what, this is rad. And this is just so funny because ultimately, yes, while I was doing that ride, all I could think about is like, you know what, there's gotta be another line there's got to be another route i mean the, the the ring road around iceland is iconic and it's amazing and it takes you through so much rad landscape but it's all on pavement and as you know and as everybody knows iceland is like a cycling mecca it's like the holy land you know and so i guess in in many ways i just felt compelled to while i was there is be like there has to be a line a more pure line that takes you through all the remote wild you know incredible parts of this country that isn't out there because I had seen and studied and literally studied every bikepacking route that I could find on Iceland. And, and they're all really significant and there's some incredible ones and people have put in some real time. But what I realized was that most of them kind of started in a town and then they, they sort of rushed through the interior. They ended up back on pavement going from mostly North to South. And I was compelled to explore, like, is there a route that could take you by every major glacier? running perpendicular to every river, which would force you to cross every major river. <laughs> I mean, and, and this isn't like, cause I'm a glutton for punishment. It's because I want to experience the place and I want to know it's real challenges and I want to understand what's out there. And by going East to West, you're actually kind of starting in the center. And what I mean by that is that Iceland's East coast, East fjords and West fjords, they were once connected. And so it's the same type of rock. And that's how the country grew is in the center like that outward. So when you start in the furthest east point and you end in the furthest west point, you're traversing every type of geological terrain that it has to offer. Sand, rock, desert, 
landscapes, open gravel roads, rivers, geothermal energy sources. It's insane. And I just felt so incredibly motivated by experiencing that. It was like, you know, the legs just were giddy just thinking about it. So that was really what motivated me. I hired an Icelandic cartographer, a map maker. His name was Snorri Thor. And he's a talented dude who basically does like 3D mapping of glaciers. And he, he built a route, but that route came with a big caveat, which was like, dude, this is a route. Yes. This is a line that does go through the center of the country. It does spend as much time as possible in the highlands. It is on dirt for six days or sand or whatever, but I don't know if it goes like you're going to have to scout it or you're going to have to scout these sections because there's a lot of unknowns, you know, hadn't been done because, and I think that's the thing is like, it's a different scenario than being like, I'm going to, you know, ride 20 miles through this section of rough terrain or no, I'm going to ride 400 miles of 600 through unknown terrain. And I think the unknown was so special because it forced us to scout it. You know, I hired an expedition guide. He went out there with a super Jeep and tried to cross some of these rivers. Some of them were totally uncrossable, which was terrifying because that's where our route went. And then that forced us, and I'm giving you kind of the play-by-play. Sorry, I'm kind of fast. I'm fascinated. But basically, and because this is kind of what goes into it. Like I, I learned a lot about route building. I learned a lot about what it took, but I didn't want to like set our, set us up for failure. And so basically we scouted it. We scouted two or three key sections and we, we built workarounds, hundred kilometer workarounds, 60 kilometer workarounds. Like if it didn't go, we would have to ride around. And, and ultimately that would have sucked because we wanted the most pure line we could. Maybe there's some ego there, you know, but ultimately we, we wanted the line to kind of go through the center. And so on the trip itself, we got some of these, pinpoints where we were like, Hey, we have to make a decision. And that's really, to be honest, we were blessed with incredible weather, not bad wind, not bad rain, a little bit of snow, a little cold, but it was never heinous or terrible or what you'd expect. But the real challenge came from this anxiety that would creep up in the middle of the night. I couldn't sleep where I'd be like, we have to make a decision on which route we're going to take. And this could delay us the whole day. If we was take water that, crossings the biggest issue that you were facing yeah, in terms of yeah. 100%. You know, yeah. we, I'm, I mean, I'm talking about like a proper super Jeep that goes in the glacier, like right. a 54 inch tire that truck that couldn't make it across a river. And we're going to go towards that river and cross it with our legs and our right. and 80, 80 pound bikes on our back. Like my hands yeah. are sweating just listening to you. No, no, I, yeah, I would have full anxiety weeks before. And maybe some of the Canadians they'd experienced this. I was with a lot of really badass people, Eric Batty, Emily Batty, Adam right. Morka. Um, you know, Eric, Eric is a really talented adventurer who's been in some crazy terrain. And, you know, for me personally, this is just new, but that this is what being a rookie was all about. It was so fun to be like, I'm learning from these people. I'm, I'm relying upon their experience. They're relying upon some of my experience having been there. It was a give and take. And I really respected them for that. And I, I love that. But ultimately, yeah, I would wake up being like, I can't sleep. I'm too nervous. And, you know, you cross these rivers. And what was rad is like, we got to this one mega river and we're like trying to find a point to go in and it's fast moving water. And, you know, as you know, like if a river is going past your knee, you don't want to cross it. Yeah. Like, Cause that's how you get swept. Right. And then if you're carrying a 80 pound bike above your head, uh, there's nowhere to like touch down or put your hands and you better have good footing. And, and that's what we did. We crossed it with our bikes over us and we got it's over crazy. the, we got over the first one. <laughs> we got over the first one. We left it like Alpine start really early, tried to get across when it was cold. So it'd be lower and we went for it and it, and it went and like, 
after that, like, oh my gosh, just a flood of joy like came over me because I was like, you know what? It goes. Like, yes, I'm afraid, and yes, this is terrifying, but it goes. And yeah. and I know that it's possible. And now that I know that it's possible, like it became like a chess game. It was so fun because every river was, you know, we crossed like uh, 75 rivers in one day because every one was like four inches to four feet deep and you, you'd have to go all the way around. Oh my gosh. How did, uh, how did your compatriots handle this? You know, they were solid. It was a, it was an interesting mix. You know, everybody has different personality types. Eric's kind of the, the, the quiet, strong one, you know, Adam will just like tell jokes and Emily's kind of like, she's a little more assertive, a little more like kind of, you know, watches our mistakes and then like goes through with grace and, and, <laughs> and like the least amount of effort, you know, it was a really cool thing to witness. And ultimately just like such a cool experience to share it with those types of people, you know, people that I didn't know, people that were new to me. And honestly, like the, the energy, the excitement that they brought to the table is what fueled me. That's what made me so stoked. And I mean, this is a testament to the idea of like who you bring on trips and who you travel with is just as important as where you go and what you do. I've spent, you know, 12 years planning expeditions with different people and learning the intricacies of human interaction. And and that was so fun, right? That was a big, huge part of it. And, And I think that's what like makes a good story, you know? I was curious about how Emily Batty did. Everyone obviously knows her from being a cross country badass. We just saw Payson, you know, try to tackle the Colorado trail and uh, came up a little bit short, not dogging him at all. Uh, I think it's awesome that he, uh, I mean, he put it all out there. Don't worry, he's he's dogging himself, I'm sure, right now. Well, I mean, he put it all out there. I mean, you you know, he ran himself pretty ragged there. But, you know, there's we're seeing more roadies or XC coming into, like, the bikepacking world. And I didn't know Emily... Batty bikepacked at all. So I, well, this was her first bikepacking. It was okay. Yeah. I mean, way to jump in full force. Like she's just, (laughs) she's just a force. Right. And it was really cool. You know, I think in some ways, like Eric really took on like a lot of the planning and a lot of like the route decision-making stress and, and everything. Cause you know, ultimately like we would look at the river crossings, he can read a map like incredibly. Right. So, okay. you know, and I was kind of taking on the production element of it. Like we had a team that was documenting and, and whatnot and, and trying to like, I was trying to manage like where we're staying and this and that. And so like we each had our own stresses and mm. I'm sure Emily was going through a lot of her own stuff simply because like the Olympics are off and she doesn't have world cup. And that was kind of a crazy scenario you know, for her. And, but, but that's the beauty is like the time is now, like, that's what we all realized is that in the year of 2020, if there's anything we can gain from this, it's that, you know, putting off something for a future scenario, that's not realistic. That's not real. Like that is never going to be an opportunity that you can rely upon. And I think if anything, when there's an opportunity given, when there's an opportunity granted, you need to take it and you take it like right this very second. And even if that means you're not fully prepared, Oh, man, it's just like, I, I can't express enough, like how important that is. Were you able to adhere to that pure line that you set out to, we, or did you we have were. to? Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, the route is pure as pure gets. It goes right through the center, as close to every single glacier, all four or five or six glaciers wow. as you can get. And it has some very severe river crossings. It has some very real moments. Um, I would be terrified to do that route by myself. And I really, truly do want someone to go out there and do an FKT on the route. I would love more than anything to actually 
work with the Icelandic tourism or government or someone to, to actually make this into a route because I'm going to be bold here and I'm going to say that I think this is maybe one of the most iconic, one of the most legendary bikepacking routes and potential races in the world because of the variety and because of the diversity. There's yeah. nothing I've seen out there and I've done a lot of research yeah. that, t- that takes you through as much diverse terrain. Like deep well, have you all also seen a lot? You've been a lot of yeah, places, I, so been, you know I've what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> you're I've like, this is good stuff, people. You can trust me. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, I mean, the, the only thing it's lacking is like epic flowy single track, you know, but, you know, it doesn't have like the, what the Colorado Trail has in terms of elevation and mountains, but it does have, you know, steep, beautiful fjords and big climbs and beautiful endless gravel roads and really like technical sections for sure sharp sections what's so hard about it what makes it so unique is that you have to optimize for the whole not a section you can't optimize for 20 miles of sand or 10 miles of sand in a 600 mile route you have to optimize for like what's going to be the functional thing to ride on you know, a hundred miles of gravel or sorry, a hundred miles of tarmac and then 300 miles of gravel and then a hundred miles of technical tiny rocks, you know, so that's the crazy part about it is right. that it's just, the diversity is so rad. And what it does is it forces you to experience all of it. It's like, you know, if you want to go to Iceland and, and experience Thanksgiving dinner, like this is it. <laughs> so y'all landed on uh Mid fats or yeah, mid fat tires or fat tires. Yeah, uh, two point. I wrote a two point three five in the back and a two point six in the front. I okay. I would I would recommend. I mean, keep in mind I wanted to go bigger, but it was just what I had and it was what fit, and I maxed it out. Eric and Adam they rode two point sixes. Emily rode two point fours in the front and back. I would not recommend anything smaller than a two four. I rode the new Schwabies that had like. They had just been released and they had like a super heavy duty sidewall technology that like allowed you to air them down a ton. Cause that was the key thing is like, I was able to air down to like 10 PSI. And that's the only thing that got for all of us to got us through kind of that, that Sandy section. Right. And I think just being able to like, you know, go larger in the front with a little more beefy tire really allows you to kind of float through some of these sections, but you definitely want to be able to like, go fast on gravel too. You know, you want to be able to go fast on the road and not pump them up. Yeah. Because you got some big, big tarmac climbs too. And that was kind of the thing is like, I pumped these things up as big as they could go at the end. And I was, I felt like I was flying. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest concern that I have with that route are all those river crossings. I was watching on your Instagram and it was like nerve wracking for me to, to just watch. Like it's super precarious what are it your personal thoughts on like precarious for me too? I mean, if, if somebody was to truly do it safely, they would either scout the rivers ahead of time. Here's the thing is like, this is why it's been hard. Cause I, I really want to put this route out there on yeah. bikepacking.com, but we're going to do it after the article comes out in the newest issue. Okay. Um, but there's a serious caveat here, which is like, Hey, this isn't like Kyrgyzstan where there's like maybe, you know, a couple river crossings where it's going to be small and you're going to get wet. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not like that. It's like, you yeah. could die. Right. You know? right. And, I, and I, don't, I don't mean to be uh, sensational about this, but like we tried to cross it in a truck five days earlier. It was impassable. It was really cold. And then we left it literally like 5 AM and we got there before the sun rose and the river the you know, you're, you're so close to the glaciers that what happens is around 12 noon, the glacial mouths, they crack open, right? And they start flooding. And then that's when the rivers get bigger. So ultimately, yeah, you'd either have to camp by the edge of the river 
and you'd have to wait for it to be at its lowest point and then cross. You know, that's what we were prepared to do. We brought tents and everything. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we, we only had to use the tents once the whole trip and it wasn't even needed. So we had an ideal trip with great weather, but man, if you got bad weather, like you, it could be serious. And we were able to yeah. stay in mountain huts the whole time, which really saved our butts. And it was a sick, awesome experience. Nowadays, I could go back and do it easier because I know the gear, I know where you can get food, but you got to keep in mind, like you pass through food the first day and then you have about, we had at least six days with no resupplies. There was one hut that offered a little food and we ate there, but there wasn't like a grocery store or a gas station or anything, right? You're, you're in the middle, you're in the interior. Yeah. So that's just kind of, yeah, <laughs> the river crossings are where it's at. I mean, that's the, that's the fearful yeah. thing. We thought about all the scenarios too, like bringing a throw rope or bringing rafts, but it just didn't make sense. Yeah. Well, that's why I wanted to, I mean, I don't think you're being cessationalist at all. I think, you know, as a person who's going to put out a route, you want people to do it safely. And those river crossings were no joke. I could tell just by watching on freaking Instagram. It's scary. It was scary. I'm like, and, and poor, like, not poor Emily Batty, but I mean, Emily's not uh, the biggest person. I mean, she probably weighs like 95 pounds or something. And watching her go across a river with the, you know, big loaded bike. It, I was like, holy crap. Honestly, it was impressive though. But the thing that's crazy is she, she's so light and small. She would just float over that stuff. It was actually really rad. You know? Yeah. I mean, and she just, she knows how to like read a line, right? Yeah. Like so well, like I was just like, I was the person who would, who would always get off and walk. Cause I'm, I'm such a kook and I'm so nervous and I'm like, I don't want to break a derailleur or, you know, get soaking wet or anything like that. But, um, but she was, she was amazing to watch. I felt like I no, learned. No. Well, sorry. I was actually talking about her crossing the river. I had no, no doubts about her ability to handle a bike loaded or otherwise, but. Oh, but, but that's the thing is that even crossing those rivers, most of the time, like I would say about half of them you could ride through because they were only about three to four inches, but it would, even even that would require an element of sort of tactfulness and, you know, and everything. It was kind of funny because some of them definitely, you'd be like, yeah, we're riding through this and you ride in and you hit a pothole and you're like, you, you know, you're so, and it was, yeah, it was, it was a thing to be honest, that also the, the biggest stress, the biggest fear became the funnest day, became the funnest experience. I, I, yeah, I remember y'all celebrating on after crossing and I mean, it seemed like a huge high. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Yeah, totally was. Well, I know we're kind of run a little bit short on time, but, uh, do we have no, a little man, bit of time to talk I'm, about yeah, Sierra? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. We're, we're down. To, I'm done talking about anything. It'd be awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah. So, I mean, obviously the Icelandic trip is super epic and I'm, I'm kind of just happy for you. Like I know yeah. <laughs> that uh, Iceland is like a big part of your life. You spent a lot of time there and yeah. uh, for you to like go through all of that work, hiring a cartographer and like scouting out the route and like putting together a team and then to actually have it to come to fruition <laughs> I'm excited for you and and the cycling community to have another really cool route. Thanks. Thanks, man. You know, it really felt full circle, to be honest. It felt really full circle. I can imagine. I felt really grateful to like, to kind of in some way be able to leave something behind that others could experience. Like that's a real life goal. And I don't take responsibility for this route. This route was a community effort, you know, like again, it's, it's not mine, it's everybody's, but in, in some way to like put that out into the world, like that's so cool, you know, that, that others could experience this place. And well, y'all were the first, I mean, you know, y'all were the first to 
put the pedals down and go out there yeah. and, and find out, you know, is this a route or is this not a route? And right. uh, y'all were the first ones to freaking do it. So, you know, that's pretty cool. It was pretty rad. Yeah. 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 So the so, Sierras, uh, Sierra's <laughs> yeah. You're with my um, friend Lael. Yeah. Lael's Having a good time amazing. carrying bikes instead of riding them. She's just like endless smiles, endless positivity. And again, one of those people who like, you all helps to remind you without saying it just like that this is elective suffering the story behind the sierra is that eric nolan who's um an industrial designer specialized and has a long history of of you know ultra endurance cycling and and everything um just one of my mentors in the ultra kind of endurance racing and and ranyane world he did, did a trip um through the sierras about four or five years ago where they rode through kind of the, the White Mountains uh, on, the, on the east side of the Sierras, and they crossed the mountains sort of thing. And, and basically, he threw the bike on his back, hiked 20-plus miles through the Sierras, and was the, technically the first person to cross the Sierras by bike. Mm. And just long story short, we're making a film about the experience. Um, it'll be out next year. But ultimately, we wanted to kind of, I guess – redo that trip in some way with a new route and we tried and the fire stopped us and we tried again and the fire stopped us we rescheduled and booked tickets and you know got lail down from anchorage and it sucked <laughs> because it was just like this is the year that we're in and so ultimately we had to fully change plans and we're like you know what what will be rad is let's connect two national parks instead of crossing the sierras let's go through two of these really significant unique national parks and you know we won't let the tires touch the ground and we'll move you know, tactfully and carefully and, and leave no trace and respect the landscape. But, but ultimately the goal is to emerge on the other side with our bikes and then ride back to our car. Like what a cool loop, what a cool way to experience the landscape. And again, I think that there's no other reason we did this other than the fact that it's just a stupid idea that sounded fun. And <laughs> in the year of 2020, I think that we're all about stupid ideas. Yeah. Bring and it I, on. Yeah. I think that my idea with it was ultimately like, I want people to realize that you don't have to book a flight and, you know, have a passport and go somewhere internationally to have a crazy wild experience. You know, this park is two and a half hours from my house. You could have done it on any bike you wanted to. You don't have to do it as far as we did. You, you could have done a tiny hike, you know, through a park like this and had an incredible experience. And I think that the breadth of our adventure and sort of the depth of that adventure doesn't need to be limited by the budget that you have. Yes, we were riding carbon bikes and, and we had some killer gear, but the truth of the matter is like it doesn't require some immense budget to have some do something really fun like this. I mean, all of my first yeah. trips in life, because I didn't grow up with a passport, because I, I grew up in a single parent home, were were where I could, you know, escape to on the weekend and, and think of a, an interesting idea. So this was kind of like a I felt like jumping over those cracks as a kid on that BMX bike, like you said. Right. And that's kind of a part of it, you know? You know, that's public land. That's for all of us to be able to go and experience and enjoy. And public land doesn't care. The weather doesn't care how cool your gear is or how good you look or whatever. You know, it, that's not what it's about. So, right. yeah, it's, it, it can be nice to have all the uh, all the nice, fun gear. But certainly the, the sense of adventure and being able to just immerse yourself. And I mean, God, the Sierras are so beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, they surely are. uh, Yeah, you're not going to care what you're riding. I can imagine if you're going through such a beautiful landscape. Oh, totally. Um, And and that's really the beauty of it. Like, I love what you said about it. It's just a way to, like, reconnect you to a place that you really care about. And when you can do it in a new way that's fun and captures your attention, excellent. Like, I look forward to, like, 
finding overnighters that are like 10 miles from my house and doing something silly like this. I mean, that's the first time I put a bike on my back was in the Los Padres. It was part of a bikepacking trip, a two day trip. Like it didn't matter what kind of bike you had, you know, because we were going literally two miles an hour climbing up a hill. Like it was, it was an incredible experience. And just to have that full circle experience was so fun. Car to car. I I really truly love the multi-sport aspect of riding bikes. Right. How long was that ride? How many miles? So I think like 77 or something like that. And like the route originally said 27,000 feet of climbing. I think it might've been closer to like 24,000 feet of climbing. I can't totally remember, but yeah, it was something right around there. It was pretty, pretty dang rad. Yeah. And what, like 30 miles was hike a bike or pack a bike, I should say. It It was about 30 miles of hike a bike. Exactly. No pack a bike. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. That would be, that would be a more accurate description. Yeah, exactly. Is that really, I mean, that's kind of the, is that the crux of this route is the pack a bike section for 30 miles? I mean, the rest of it's pretty straightforward, bike packing, riding. And then, I mean, you tell me I haven't done it, so I'm kind of curious, but it seems like that hike a bike or pack a bike is really the the crux of it. Oh, 150% that was the crux. The funniest thing is like at that point, all you're thinking about is like, you know what, like I've got, you know, it doesn't matter how much your bike weighs. It doesn't matter what kind of gear you have. Like 45 to 50 pounds is 45 to 50 pounds. You know, like it's so funny how time kind of slows down in that regard. You're like, I wish I would have brought less of this. I wish I would have brought less of this. I could have done with this. Like you start when you're moving that slow, you start to realize that every little thing becomes very annoying or very (laughs) painful or, you know what I mean? Like on a bike, you're moving, 18 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour, you can deal with things because you're going to get there soon enough. But when you're like, no, I'm going to be hiking for 13 hours and moving slow. And it's, it's so funny how like you start to lose your mind a little bit, (laughs) just a tiny bit. (laughs) Well, how did y'all carry the bikes? The first time I ever did one of these, I strapped my bike to a really basic, super small, like no pad, no shoulder straps. It was like a black diamond um, little stuff sack, basically like, like an Alpine sack. And it sucked. My shoulders were torn up and everything. I mean, the most comfortable thing you could ever do is take a full-blown backpacking bag, you know, like some sort of bag you, cause you, you want proper hip support and you want proper shoulder straps, but that would be awkward to cycle with. So you're trying to optimize for the whole Eric designed some bags with mission workshop that make incredible cycling bags and incredible just camera bags and everything. And that had mole attachments in the right spots. Um, so we basically took one of their bags, made a couple modifications. And the cool thing about it was like our water bottle holders and kind of our feed bags, they mounted to the backpack. So the coolest part was like the backpack itself could basically convert into a system to carry the bike, but the bags that were on the bike converted to be used on the backpack. So like the Whoa. fanny pack, the, yeah, it was sick, dude. I mean, that was the coolest part. Like the fanny pack um, could be used on the bike as like a front little roll, you know, as like a, as like a front little feed bag in the front yeah. and the feed bags and the, the water bottle bags could be mounted to the shoulder strap. You had this backpack that was modular in the sense that it could take on the part. It was like transformer style, right? So yeah, dude, so, I knew, I mean, yeah. I was following along. I knew the backpacks were cool, but I didn't yeah. quite know the depth of it. I know, yeah. uh, that's, but to be honest rad. and transparent, like, I mean, there's modifications that probably should be made for it to be perfect. You know, it's, it's, we're testing something. We're beta testing. Yeah. Something. Yeah, so, yeah. So don't look at it and be like, oh my gosh, this is the, per- you, you designed a perfect thing. It's like, no, we had bloody sores on parts of our bodies. 
you know. Well, that's we, the next question is how did it actually perform? It performed really good once we got it dialed. But that's the okay. thing. It's like you bring it out there and what? Nobody's really hiked a mile on the things, you know. They, they were well. awesome. But you had to just – you had to strap the bike in the right place, right? You had to mount it really low so the tire wasn't hitting your, your heels. You have to – it's a weird thing because you're kind of tensioning it in the right way so it's not putting too much load on your shoulders and the load is being dispersed in, a, in just a more accurate way. And so, yeah, it fully came together and it worked really well, but it required some jimmy rigging, I guess you could say, and just figuring yeah. it out. But it was honestly the most futuristic design I've ever seen. And keep in mind, if you were going to go and do like, oh, I'm going to ride for 50 miles and hike for 10, that would be the sickest thing ever. When you're like, I'm going to ride for 30 miles and hike and elevate, you know, 6,000 to 7,000 feet of, of elevation, like, or more, I can't even, I think we did like hiking in that 30 miles. Like we did like 10,000 feet of elevation gain or yeah. change or more. Wow. I mean, it's proper, like it's real, you know? Yeah. And so I think it just depends on which kind of adventure you're taking it on, you know? <laughs> for sure. For sure. What were your overall thoughts of the route having done it now? Are you excited to put it out there? Or is this a route that you are going to put out or, or what? Yeah, for sure. I, I would hope, I would absolutely hope that others would go and try to experience it in some way. There's other ways to experience that route without hiking, you know, and just kind of riding around and you can, you can do some diversions there if you wanted to. But ultimately the goal was like, you sort of ride, I mean, there's very few places where you can ride and hike from one national park to another back to your car. And Eric, you know, you know what I'm constantly blown away by is like, it's fun riding bikes with talented people. It's fun being with, you know, really, really talented athletes, but when somebody can build a really good route, that forces you to embrace an experience. I mean, that's a talent. That's like being a good author. That's like yeah. being a good storyteller. And, and Eric, he told a story with that route and it was beautiful. And it was, it makes me want to cry. Like it's incredible. And I've been able to ride routes that Sarah Swallow is, has made. And I've been able to now make my own. And I think that's like the most beautiful gift that we can give to the bike packing or cycling community is like, what a cool thing I'm forcing you. And I, and I mean that in like a humble way, but I'm, forcing you to experience something that I experienced myself. And there's not really many diversions of how you could do it, you know? So it's not like necessarily hiking where you can like go off trail and you can go this way and that way, or it's not like, you know, driving where you can speed up. You can only go kind of a relative certain speed. You're allowing to have a collective experience and that's a gorgeous thing. And yeah, we're going to put the route out there for sure. I'm actually looking at the fit files right now. I'm trying to like find a way to get it to a friend to connect it all. You're doing that while we're podcasting? No, no, no. I was just thinking about oh. it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, I'm you're a sure really that. good uh, multitasker because you're, like, yeah. you're like, you know, Super focused. Making, making sense on a podcast and also yeah. emailing whatever. Oh, I wanted to, uh, to ask you about Rue on her e-bike. I, I mean, that's got to yeah. be one of the, the coolest tools that a photographer can use especially like on a trip like this. So I was kind of curious. Yeah. I mean, you're a photographer and. Oh, I uh, was inspired. Like Rue is just, uh, you know, for lack of better words, a badass. She's so rad. She hiked the whole section with a big camera bag, heavy. You know, I wouldn't say that her hike was much easier than ours. And ultimately, you know, she rode the whole route with an e-bike and an extra battery and a camera she had slung around her back. I mean, these things are uncomfortable and she would ride up ahead and then she would stop, take a photo, you know, come back, hang right up ahead. It was, it was awesome. And honestly, that was one of the coolest things is seeing how all of a sudden an e-bike, which in the past I've kind of been like, eh, nah, yeah, e-bike, whatever, yeah. you know, I'm not really that passionate about them. Um, I don't really have a way of figuring out how I could 
how I could use this, how it can be this incredible tool to document and, and share the story. Because ultimately, right. I'm, for me, it's always about storytelling. And I guess that's just like one of the, the coolest ways in which I've seen it used. And, and she really was able to kind of keep up and exceed like all my expectations, you know? Yeah. Um, well, you, she can like, you know, zoom ahead and, and yeah. get the shot the, or The or only whatever. time it becomes a little complicated is like when you're going on a large, large downhill, like that bike can go really fast, really quickly, you know, just because uh-huh. it's heavier, obviously the E setting is kind of off when you're going downhill, but you know, we we're descending really, really fast and we kind of have to stop and like, you know, let her kind of, we would like stop, let her pull up. She could go ahead for five minutes. She'd find a shot. We would, you know, it was, it was rad though, but that's yeah. like that forced stopping was, was much needed and look forward to. <laughs> I, I, uh, circling back around to what you were saying about, you know, just forcing you to be a part of that experience. That's one thing that I've always enjoyed about bikepacking is there's no, you know, easy button where you can just, okay, I want to be home now and, and, you know, push the pedal faster and you're, you're just in it, you know, you're just yeah. there for the experience and, uh, and I, I like that. I mean, in a world that's crazy, it's fast, it's, yeah. you know, things are coming at you all the time to just be forced to be there in that moment, moving, you know, pretty slow through a beautiful landscape is a beautiful thing. And I agree that being able to put a route out there and get other people to experience it is really a big reason why I, I started the podcast and wanting to give something back. You know, I mean, there's so oh, many yeah. people that are doing really great things and providing so many resources for people to go out and experience the world on a bicycle. Incredible tools. And and what a cool tool to have something where you're like, Hey, you know, if I met somebody anywhere in the world who had ridden the Iceland thing, like we would have so much to talk about. We would be brothers. We would be sisters. We'd be, we'd be kin. Like it would just be a story that we could share. You know, I think anybody who's done the tour divide probably feels the same way. Or maybe they hate each other. I don't know. But ultimately, I think, I think it's probably the kinship. Yeah, it's like there's a connection there. And that's so cool. And I think that that's the one thing I love about these types of experiences is that they automatically draw you in, bring you closer together, make you feel connected. And I think the world needs more of that. And that's that's why I do it. Amen, brother. Again, I appreciate your time. And also just you being such a great steward of cycling and bikepacking. And I, you know, I said it on the first podcast, but it's great to have you on team bike. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you're, you're, you've become a huge inspiration for me and uh, I'm sure, you know, many, many people. So uh, I know you're just kind of doing your thing and, and doing the <laughs> things that make you happy, but that's probably part of it, right? Is like, you are really just enjoying this and, and doing it for the right reasons. And, and it, and it shows. Oh, dude. Well, that, that means so much. You know, I, I think that, you know, maybe next year I'll be, I'll be super into like inline skating or, or <laughs> ballet, ballet or something. But right now I just, I found such a cool community here in cycling and just like learning about people and hearing their stories. And, and as somebody who loves storytelling, I'm, I'm intrigued to kind of learn more about it and see where it can take me emotionally and physically. And, and, and I guess you could even say, you know, this might be a leap, but spiritually, it's a really cool tool to experience places we love. And I'm just, uh, I'm super honored. And I'm always really grateful to find a community that's super welcoming um, because coming from the surf world, it's not really <laughs> the same. And so that's a, that's a real honor. And uh, thanks for having me on, Pat. It always, always means a lot. Yeah, man. Well, I, I do appreciate it. I'll let you go to home to your family or what else you got to do. But um, one last question. 
what's next for you in, in bikepacking? Do you got any other oh, big trips you know, or plans? Or To be honest, uh, this is a funny one, but I might just do like a little, I'm actually planning a route for a friend of mine who's a Marine and he just got into bikepacking and, and kind of ultra endurance riding. And he wants to do a 244 mile ride for the Marines 244th birthday through because okay. he has access to one of the one of their bases and there's crazy crazy terrain there and so to be able to go ride through that area <laughs> with him I'm like I'll plan her out like let's do it <laughs> you need to get your military secret clearance yeah, or whatever to go exactly so I was like oh well I mean anytime you get to see somewhere new so I'm actually been kind of planning her out around 29 palms and and through J tree and just something big for him to experience. And it's just, awesome. you know, it's a fun thing. Like I don't, it's super funny. This is, you know, not to suck up more time, but my rides have been getting slower and slower and more and more fun, <laughs> you know? And yes, I still love going fast and I still like doing the ultra endurance thing, but like, I do love the force slowdown, you know, yeah. that's really special and to share. Well, it. it's interesting. I, I was actually, uh, one of the questions on my, on my list that I, we didn't get around to was, you know, the first time we talked, you were all about this sleep deprivation and going as far as you could doing two, 300 mile rides in one go. And then obviously doing Iceland. And like, I, I know you went like 60 hours without sleeping and bikepacking is definitely a slower pace, you know? And so I was curious how you were finding it. So it sounds like you're kind of taking away from it, the same thing that most of us do probably just a, an appreciation for. Yeah. And I, and I think I still get the froth factor of like, Ooh, I want to go back and do this fast and quick, but I think there's just different types of, there's different seasons within yeah. that lifespan yes. and that story and you evolve and all that stuff still inspires me. Like being with Lael, I'm just like, Oh man, like she's, she's got the bug, you know? And I'm always like, Ooh, I want to, I want to go race or I want to do this. But I also think sometimes when it comes down to it, like, it's all about the, the shared experience. It's all about the story and whatever helps helps to tell the story better is really how it makes sense. And with this Iceland ride, we're making a film from that. And with this Sierra project, we're making a film from that. Like these were more slow, collective, thoughtful trips, right? Is there some sleepless nights in my future? Heck yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but for right now, I'm just kind of like learning to enjoy this. Yeah. Well, like you say, there's always different seasons. So I think we all go through that where this is more appealing right now and you really want to push it or, yeah, I just want to go on a nice trip and enjoy or, or whatever it may be. I mean, there's no one right way to do it. It's just whatever makes sense for you at the time, but I'm glad you're enjoying it. Uh, I'm enjoying following and appreciating everything that you're doing for the sport. So be well, my friend, and hopefully we'll talk again sometime oh, soon. I know. I know we will. Thanks again, brother. Hope to see you all soon. Right, Chris. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. All right. I appreciate everybody for tuning in today. Again, my apologies for not being a good podcaster, not putting out very much content, um, but I am working on it and going to get back up and running. Um, life is life, but uh, this is important to me and I appreciate all y'all's patience while I transition. And I uh, got to thank Chris for coming on. I mean, the guy's a total legend. I'm a big fan of his kind of dorked out on that episode a little bit, but it's just fun. It's fun. It's fun to dork out and talk bikes with bike people, right? That's what, that's what it's all about. So, um, no apologies, I guess. I hope you got out from it as much as I did. All right. Well, I don't know about you, uh, but this is a crazy time. Uh, today's election day, a lot of uncertainty in America, particularly probably across the world. And I've been thinking a lot about that as you have 
probably noticed there's just so much division everywhere you look. And in fact, social media, as we know, if you watch Social Dilemma, I mean, I don't think it was a secret, but you should probably go check out Social Dilemma on Netflix and you know, have a full understanding of how social media is using you as a product and controlling your attention and, you know, leading to mental health problems and so many negative things. I mean, they are truly profiting off keeping us divided. That has been a big motivation for the podcast is to be an antidote to that and to provide some good media something that you can invest your time into that hopefully will be worthwhile and interesting and fun and and not seek to divide you. And and as I've thought about it, I realize that bikes really do have a a place in this conversation because as I've done this for a couple of years now and been a cyclist my whole life, I've I've found anecdotally that if we just focus on the things that bring us together, our love for the outdoors, how we nerd out on bikes, the new bikes, the old bikes, you know, what tire size we should ride, what camping gear you're running, you know, the people, the races, I mean the whole thing, we can we can really find a lot of commonality on on so many issues. And as I've been, you know, saddened by the state of the world and and just all the diversity, uh, it just makes me want to focus more on the things that bring us together. And even if it's as simple as something like riding bikes and getting outside, and um, to me, those things are like so important and it can be easy to, dis- to dismiss them and to maybe think that it is not as important as global warming or the economy or, you know, whatever other thing is going on in the world. And I won't disagree with that, but I do think that it's important that as people, we focus on our commonalities, the things that we have in common, and we try to use that as a way to to come closer to each other and not just to find ways to pick each other apart and bring each other down. Okay, well, I'm going off on a little bit of a rant but it is my podcast, so I guess I'm entitled to a rant every once in a while, eh? So I guess the moral of the story is instead of doom scrolling through social media and news feeds and everything else, just getting caught up in all the hate and the diversity that is in the world, my recommendation is just go ride your damn bike. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Oh. 